You know, each year as uh, I get older and I have an opportunity to meet more people and uh, get an opportunity to hear more stories from different people, I, I've, I'm coming to the understanding that uh, I am like a lot of people and uh, I am no different, um, but we all have different questions. And one of the things that's really struck me this year, walking as we've walked into Resurrection Sunday, is the amount at which we talk the talk, like we talk about believing in a big God, and we talk about um, the power that God can do and the things that God can do. We look at the Bible, and we can see him parting the Red Sea. We see God performing these amazing miracles, and we see God doing amazing things for his great name and for his great glory. But the one thing that I've begun to realize in my own life and in the lives of other people is that sometimes we forget that the God of the Bible is the God that is the same God today. And I'm becoming more and more convicted in my own life that so many times I place God in this box. Like I see God doing amazing things in his word, but but I don't expect God to do amazing things in my own life. Like I don't expect God to do amazing things in my city. I don't expect God to do amazing things in my family. I don't expect God to do amazing things at my work. I just kind of sit back and I'm like, okay, God, I know that you say that you can do these things. But I really doubt. And I'm afraid that even today, I think this room may be full of people that doubt. I pray today that the Lord would help us with our unbelief. And that today be the day that we trust Him in every aspect of our life. For everything so that he can accomplish his mighty work in us and through us. Today we are continuing our series. As we've been walking through, anticipating the resurrection, we spent the last few weeks walking through, uh, looking at the biblical accounts from the prophets from the Old Testament, people that before Jesus came, God was using to help us anticipate, helping his people anticipate this Messiah that would come, that would take away their sin. And so we've been walking through, we've looked at Jeremiah, and we looked at the promises that he gave and the, the pictures of Christ that he gave. And last week, we looked at Daniel and, and how he prefigured Christ, how Daniel was a sort of a Christ that was to come and to show us what Christ would do. And then this past Friday, we looked at the words of Isaiah that proclaimed the, the suffering of this Savior, but also the triumph of this Savior. And today, we're going to look at the words of Ezekiel. So if you've got a Bible and you want to take it out, and if you are in the have one of the ones that we provided. It's on page 614. But today we're going to look at Ezekiel. We're going to ask the question as we look at the words of Ezekiel. Is there any hope? Is there any hope is the question that I hope that we're able to look at today and we're able to answer that yes, there is. You know, if we look around the world today, we have many, many people asking the question, is, is this as good as it gets? Is this life that we're living right now, the joys that I experience, the pain that I experience, is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? Well, Today, I want us to see that this God of the universe, this God that loves us, is a God that can bring hope to the hopeless. When we have lost all hope, we turn to God and God says, I am here and I will do great 
things. Before we dive into the word this morning, let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would speak. Father, allow your voice to be heard in our dying souls. Allow your voice to be heard through our deaf ears. Allow our, your voice to be seen through our blind eyes. Would you penetrate to the deepest parts of us and breathe life into us today, God? We need you. Allow your word in these few moments to accomplish its purpose in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning as we step into the the Ezekiel account, I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 and 2. What I want us to see as we jump into this is I want us to, to see the hopeless scene, the hopeless scenario that we jump right into as Ezekiel has this encounter with God, as he has this vision with the Lord. So let's look together in Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirits of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there was many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Now Ezekiel was a prophet that was called by God. And he was called by God during a time which was probably the darkest time in the nation of Israel's history. It was a time where God allowed them, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against God, God simply said, follow me and I will bless you. But you don't follow me or you go your own ways and I will curse you. And so we see that God's people had continually disobeyed God over and over and over again. And God is bringing about his judgment on his people by allowing them to live in a time of captivity in Babylon. And so they're living in captivity and God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet, to be his voice to the people, to say, you're here because you've sinned. You're here because this is what you deserved. But because of my great love, I'm going to do something amazing. So here on this day, The Lord gives Ezekiel a vision, a word that he is supposed to speak to the people of Israel. And he gives them this vision during this time. And this vision itself is a place of when that is a place of total despair, a place of hopelessness. And I want us to see that even though this message today was given directly to the Israelite people, it's a message that points to Christ. It's a message that points to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so though this is a vision that God gives Ezekiel on this day, it's a vision that we can see and we can learn from and see that it points to the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. So let's look here in this, in this scene. What is going on? I think it's a place of utter hopelessness. The Lord leads Ezekiel by the hand and he allows him to walk through this dry land where Ezekiel, who is from the Levite uh, tribe, so he's somewhat of a priest. And so God calls him to walk among these bones. Now, Ezekiel is not allowed to touch the bones because if he actually touches the bones, that will make him unclean and make him unfit to serve the Lord. So the Lord is, is taking him by the hand, walking through all of this valley of dry bones, these bones of people that have died. It was a place where there was no more hope. 
For when we think about life, we think that even if someone is, is riddled with cancer or someone has um, a disease that is killing them. I can remember when my mother was walking through the challenges of leukemia. I can remember that as we saw her going through chemotherapy to try and to, to save her body. I can remember her knowing that her body was wasting away. But every single day, there was always hope. There was hope that the Lord would speak a word of, of of healing over her body, or there was hope that the medicines would work, or there was, there was hope that she would have another day. There was always this hope. But I can remember the day, the evening that she passed away. Shortly after she, she passed away and she went to go be with the Lord, I was allowed, me and my two brothers, two of my brothers and two of my sisters, were able to come into her hospital room. And I can remember seeing her body still there, knowing that her spirit had left. And I knew at that moment, in this life, she had no more hope. That her life had trans- expired and that her spiritual life was beginning. But my heart was broken because I knew that it would be an exp- expanse of time until I could see her again. And I was broken. So in a very similar way, God calls Ezekiel to come into a place where all hope is gone. Like where he's walking around and he sees all of these bones from people that have died. These bones have been there for a period of time because they've been bleached by the sun. And they've been scattered all over the place. And the challenge of this is, is the picture that we see here is this, whoever these people are, and I believe that they are God's people, these people are utterly destroyed by their enemy. And when you get utterly destroyed by your enemy, you're not buried in graves, but your body it dies exactly where, or it's, it's laid exactly where it drops from the, the war or from the battle. And it's left there as a testimony to the nations that your people have been defeated. So as, as uh, Ezekiel is walking around, he's seeing this place of utter destruction, utter defeat, where God's name is being profaned because the God of, of these people allows his people to go into this time of death. And look and you can see that the overwhelming magnitude of this death and destruction it was a place of utter hopelessness. And God uses this as a, as a scene, as an illustration to describe the spiritual condition of a nation. God is speaking to his own people that you are dead. Though you think you are alive, that you're going through the, the a, a emotions and you're going through the rituals of a religious lifestyle, you are dead. I can think of another hopeless scene that we remember today. Another hopeless scene takes place hundreds of years later in the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus' disciples are there, they've spent three years with him, ministering alongside of him, seeing him part the water, walk on water, raise the dead. We, we see that Jesus has, has done all of these amazing things before his disciples. But just before this, we see his disciples have seen Jesus, their Christ, beaten. 
They've seen him on a cross where he is crucified and the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. And we see that they also see that he has been buried and now they're there in this place of hopelessness asking themselves the question, was he really this Christ, this person that we followed? Was he really who he said he was? Can we believe in him? And so they're in a place of utter hopelessness. But I also believe that we today experience a modern scene of hopelessness. Like all we have to do is look around the world that we live in and we see that we live in a world of utter brokenness. We live in a world where hope doesn't reign where hopelessness is a place of terror that reigns on us every single day. We live in a place where we're surrounded by death. We're in a world where we're surrounded by rape. We're in a world where we're surrounded by lying. We're in a world where we're surrounded by people that cheat. We're in a world that where we're surrounded by abuse. We're in a world where we're surrounded by addiction. And we're in a world where people in their very souls are crying out, please help me, please save me. I can't save myself. This cannot be as good as it gets. We live in a world where people think that happiness is found in rebelling against God. We believe that if uh, the purpose of our life, we live in this world where people believe that the purpose of their life is to feed their souls and feed their lives with as much pleasure as possible. And this pleasure that they try to feed their souls with is at the expense of everyone else. So no one else matters except for me. And so when you live in a world, a society, where you're the only person that matters, where the world is centered around you, you may try to feed your soul with pleasure, but all you're doing is you're adding to the hopelessness of the world. So we live in a state of hopelessness where we, like these dry bones... We proclaim that we have life, but in reality, in our souls, there's nothing but death. But then we come to verse 3. And I think verse 3 is the question that is posed before us today. And I, I think there are two hearers of this question that are even here in our midst today. The first people that hear this, this question that we're going to see in verse 2 are those that are here today that are seeking God. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know why you're here. Maybe, maybe you just thought you were walking in for a cup of coffee and you're, you, maybe you don't realize why you're here, but you're here today to hear this message. You're here today because God loves you. You're here today because God doesn't want you to live in a place of hopelessness. So if you're here today and you're seeking God, you don't know where you stand before God, then this message is for you. But this message is also for those of you that are servants of the living Lord. You've come to the place where you realize that Christ has taken your place and you in your life and in your heart have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a message here to you today as a speaker, as a preacher of this great message. So the question of hope today is found in verse 3. Look with me. The Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, Can these bones live? The question in the utter hopelessness of Ezekiel's life, 
God comes to him and says, do you believe that these bones that are in the utterest place of hopelessness, do you believe that these bones can live? So the question here today for us is, do we believe that those that are dead spiritually can be alive? Do you believe today, as maybe you're here and you're a person that is spiritually dead, do you believe that there is still hope for you? Look at Ezekiel's answer. And I answered, O Lord God, you know. In the midst of utter despair, in the midst of utter hopelessness, Ezekiel has the faith to trust in God. And then let's look and see what takes place after he places his trust and says, God, I know, I know that as I'm looking around, Ezekiel has to look around and see these bones and he knows there's nothing that he can do in and of himself to raise those bones. The only thing Ezekiel can do for those bones is he can bury them. That's all Ezekiel can do. Ezekiel can't raise them, but God can. And we're going to see this here. Look with me in verses 4 through 6. Then he said to me, prophesy or preach over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And when I, and then I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin And put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh that came upon them, and skin that covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come out from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What I want us to see in this hope-filled message today is that God can raise the dead. God can raise the dead the dead. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God can take someone that is so filled with sin, so filled with rebellion, and God can take that away and give them life, give them meaning, give them purpose, and no longer call them an enemy, but call them a son or daughter? God can bring hope to the most hopeless situation, God can bring the dead back to life. And in this process, we see a picture that God is recreating creation. Do you remember back in the book of Genesis when he made man? Where did he make Adam from? From the dust, right? He made Adam with his own hands from the dust. And then after he formed him, what does it say that he did? It says that he breathed breath into his nostrils and Adam had life. So God in this instance is also showing us the same thing over and over again. That though I, he is the giver of life, he is the maker of life, he is the taker of dead life and breathing new life into it. And we see here that he's talking about life in two levels. He's talking about a spiritual life as the flesh is coming back on. 
But then he's also talking about a spiritual life where breath enters back in. God is the God of physical life. God is the God of spiritual life. So God can raise the dead, but I also want us to see that God has raised the dead. We can trust him because not only does he promise that he can raise the dead, we see that he has raised the dead. Look with me in 11 verses, uh, verses 11 through 14. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place in you your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God has raised the dead. What he's doing here in verses 11 through 14 is he's not talking about a vision anymore. He's talking about a literal raising from the grave. He says there will come a time when these graves will be opened. And when these graves are opened, you will know that I am the Lord. There will be no doubt when you see those that are dead come back to life. Now, he's not talking about some zombie apocalypse. He's not talking about a Michael Jackson video where we see people coming out of the graves and dancing around, singing thriller, 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 thriller night. He's not saying that. What he's saying is these people will not be dead zombies that rise from the dead, but they will be perfect people that will be restored and they will come out of the ground and they will proclaim a great message. They will proclaim the message that I once was dead, but now I am alive. And I want you to see that this actually takes place Numerous times during Jesus' life and after his death. In John 11, verses 38 through 44, we see that Jesus goes to Lazarus, who has been dead for several days. And he speaks the word, and Lazarus comes out of the grave. But then we also see in Matthew chapter 27, I want to read this to you. This is right after the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, after Jesus was crucified, in chapter 27, verse 51, and the earth shook and the rocks split, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, wait a minute. Like, that's a direct promise from Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, you will know that I am the Lord. God says this in Ezekiel. You will know that I am the Lord when you see the dead, when the the graves are broken and dead people coming out of these graves back alive. Then you will know that I'm doing this. But we also know that not only did Jesus raise others, or God raise others from the dead, God raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22, we've already read it this morning. But Paul writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
what was handed down to us as a consequence of a rebellion against God was death. And that comes through the line of Adam. So we have life, physical life. We are born into spiritual death. But through Jesus Christ, we are promised that if we believe in this Jesus, we can be made alive. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can have the promise that our sins are forgiven. The rebellion of our heart against God and against his plans, against his his hopes for our lives, our rebellion against him can be forgiven. The way that we have raped, the way that we have murdered, the way that we have stealed, the way that we have lied, the way that we have been addicted, the way that we have just taken this beautiful creation of God and we have distorted it, we can be forgiven. Because Christ is risen from the dead. Because Christ has been risen from the dead, we know that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was accepted. And we know that if we believe in this, we are promised a spiritual life. We are promised that our spirits will be raised. And we know that though our bodies will die for a time, we know that in the end, we will be worshiping the Lord for eternity. So we get spiritual life that is eternal. But we also see that we are promised power over sin. We are promised, not only is this a blessing that we receive in in the future, it's a blessing that we can receive right now for we no longer have to walk as dead people. We can walk as alive people because it says that his spirit is in us. And that we have the power and the possibility to know God. I don't know if if you think that's a beautiful blessing. But this idea of, and you see it over and over and over again in this passage, and then they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am God. What we really need in our souls is to know God. That's what our heart yearns for. Whether we think that it's found in relationships, we think that it's found in drugs, we think that it's found in other things, that's pleasure that we think it's not found in anything other than God himself. And he promises us here that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we get the spirit inside of us, and then we have the capability and the ability to know God. Now what this is... The beauty of this is it's not just this surface level knowledge. It's not this knowledge where we just see someone down the street and we're walking up and down the street and we're like, hey, I know that person. It's not that type of knowledge. What he's talking about is the knowledge that is even deeper than a married couple. We see that what God does in marriage, is his, his whole purpose is to take two individuals and make them one flesh. That's what he wants them to do. He wants them to stand before one another and to be naked and unashamed, to be able to bear their souls to one another. He says, that's how much I want you to know your spouse. But he's talking here about a deeper knowledge. He's talking about complete and total access to the God of the universe. That's what he wants us to have, to know God intimately. And he says that he gives us all of this at the moment of salvation, the moment that we we give our lives over to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us, and we have complete and total access to God. And God has complete and total access to us. As a father, we are his sons and daughters, And he says to you, you have everything. 
You have all that you need because you have me. When you cry out on your knees, I hear you. When you're in pain, I am close to you. When you're struggling with addiction, I am there to heal you. When you're going through a difficult time in your marriage, I am there with you. You have the God of the universe right there by your side, not making you walk through it alone, but he's going with you and he's giving you the power to overcome. That's the message of Easter. God is a God that can fix things. God is a God that can fix the mess that you've made. God is a God that breathes life. But you don't get this, God, automatically. We must come to the place where we receive this hope individually through faith. The only way to have access to God is to say, God, I'm tired of doing it all on my own. I'm tired of being my own God, my own king, and I want you to be the king of my life. I believe in Jesus Christ that his work on the cross was for me, that it paid my penalty, provided forgiveness, and I trust in this Jesus Christ, and I surrender my life to him. So this morning, do you believe that message? Do you believe it in the depths of your being? Are you willing to surrender everything to Christ? But that's not the only message that we see today. That message is for those that God is drawing unto himself. We know the Lord is in the process of saving people, drawing them unto himself so that they may believe and they may have faith and they may have hope. But I believe this message today also comes to those of us that are supposed to be messengers of this hope. Those that have been saved, those that are servants of the Lord. The question that rises and lands on us today is the same question in verse 3. Our question today is, son of man, can these bones live? Do we really believe in this message? As God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Do you believe, still believe in the power of the word of God? Or as you look at our desperate dying world, those, the place where we live in the valley of dry bones, do you believe that people are beyond the saving work of God? Do you look at your coworkers? Do you look at your loved ones? Do you look at your family members? Do you look at the politicians? And do you look at this world that's full of hatred and ugliness? And do you believe that they are beyond being saved? Maybe you don't believe it in your heart, but you act like you don't believe it because we never share the hope of Jesus Christ with people. We keep this message unto ourselves and we refuse to share it with other people. God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response is, oh Lord God, you know. Do you believe in the message? And are we in a place where we're proclaiming the message? He says here, it makes it very clear. He says, Ezekiel, I'm not, I'm not charging you with raising bones. I'm not making you give life. All I'm asking you to do is to go out there and prophesy. Basically what he's saying, all I'm asking you to do is to go out there and proclaim my message. That's all you have to do is say these words and I will do. The challenge is many of us aren't even saying anything enough for God to raise the dead. 
We're keeping it to ourselves and our mouths are silent because we're afraid. We don't really believe in this message. And we keep our mouths silent and the dry bones, the dead bones that were surrounded are running to a Christless eternity. Yeah, we keep our mouths silent. He doesn't ask us to be creative in the message. He doesn't say you have to make up the message. You don't have to think about what to say. All you have to do is he says here, just say my words and I will do it. Now think about the, 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 the reality of what God is asking Ezekiel to do here is seemingly impossible. He's saying prophesy to these bones. You know what? Those bones don't have ears. Those bones have no capacity for even hearing the message. And so Ezekiel's placed in a place where he thinks, he's got to think to himself, this is impossible. Like these bones don't even have any ears. How can they hear? And I'm going to prophesy? But God says to him, simply just say, don't make up the message. Just preach the word. God says the same thing to us. He says, go out there and just preach Christ. Just tell them about Christ. Just tell them that Christ has died to pay for their sins and allow me to do the work. That's all you got to do. Prophesy and watch that God will bring the dead to life. Now, I know it's easy in the message today as us as servants of the Lord. We fill our lives with so many things and we're so full of activity. But this is what God calls us to do. I had a great challenge. This was a challenge that rested on my heart yesterday as I was tired. Like you go into the activity as, as a pastor of Good Friday and you prepare for the Super Bowl Easter Sunday and your body's tired. You, my, I'm mentally, I'm physically, I'm spiritually spent this morning. And yesterday afternoon, Sarah, or yesterday morning, Sarah comes up to me and says, you won't believe this. You won't believe this. I just got a message from my friend that I was a friend in, in third grade that used to live with me in Florida. Guess what? They want to come by today. They're, they're in Lancaster. They live in, in Virginia, and they want to come by today. Can, can they come on by? And I'm like, in my spirit, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like, I'm tired. And, and she felt, I never said that, but in my spirit, I was angry. How in the world can you take the, it's my Saturday? Like, I don't get a lot of time. This is, I just want to be home today. I've got things I want to do. I'm mow the lawn. I want to go run. I want, I, how can you do this to me? And, and then as soon as I'm feeling those feelings, the Spirit of God just said, shut up. Like, just shut up. Like, I have not called you. There's a time for rest, and this is not the time. This is not the time for you to keep yourself quiet. You can have, you can, when you get old, you'll be in a bed, you'll be silent, you'll be senile, you'll, you'll have a time to rest then. But this is not the time. There are people that I am bringing your way that you're supposed to share my love with. Man, I felt that. I felt that. So I didn't have to put on a happy face when they showed up. I didn't have to fake it. I didn't have to give the pleasantries. I could be Christ to Sarah's friend from a long time ago. 
And no, their bones weren't raised yesterday. But in my obedience, we had an opportunity to minister to them in a way that I pray produces fruit in years to come. You know, we look back at that, that Matthew chapter 27 verse. Remember I, I told you about that, about after Christ ra- rose from the dead, the, the graves were split and people came out. Like they came out of the graves. And you know what they did? It says that they went back into the city and they testified. Like their purpose was not to keep silent. They were given life so that they could proclaim and appear to many. And you know what they proclaimed? Their message was very simple. They proclaimed, all they simply said was, hey, guess what? Yesterday I was dead, but today I'm alive. And you know who did it? Jesus. Like that is it. And can you imagine like the, the pain of those family members that, that had saw their loved ones die years ago that knew that there was no more hope now had an opportunity to have their hope renewed because Jesus raised them from the dead. That is our only simple message to you. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I was a dead person that was stuck in my sin, but Christ lit up my heart, made me alive, caused me to desire him, and he saved my soul. We have much to be excited about, and we have verse 14 as a promise. We do not have to do this alone. We don't have to raise the people from the dead. God does it right before our very eyes, and he promises us in verse 14, I have spoken, and I will do it. Not you will do it. Not it might happen. I will do it, says the Lord. want to leave us with this challenge in Ephesians chapter 2 and you are dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in those sons of disobedience among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Some of you here today are in that position where you are objects of God's wrath. There are some of us here today that were objects of wrath. But we see in verse 4 the reality of how those two how this group became no longer an object of wrath and how this group doesn't, doesn't have to be an object of wrath. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. We've been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. And here's the key. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. There's nothing you could do to save yourself. But it is a gift of God, not as a result of our works, so that no one can boast. And here's the reality that we live in once we live over here. 
Verse 10, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So the hope of Easter is that you can go from being a dead person to being a live person. And when you're a live person, this life that you have on this earth has purpose, meaning, and direction. So do you believe today? You know, it's only while you have physical life that you have the opportunity to receive spiritual life. Once your body dies, all chance of being saved are gone. If you're here today and you're in a place where you, by the power of God, are ready to believe, then I want to encourage you in a few moments as we sing a song to come grab me by the hand or grab someone else by the hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. I don't want to leave this place today not experiencing this hope that you talked about. Or maybe you're here today and you are a believer and your response to the word of God today is as Richard Baxter, the famous Puritan pastor, says that he lives his life as preaching as a dying man to dying men. Is the reality of the lostness in the world so gripped your heart that you're ready just to proclaim that Christ is risen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for just the faith of Ezekiel. Father, we thank you that he shows us the great example of just trusting in you. Father, may we follow today in Ezekiel's example by laying all of our faith, all of our trust, and surrendering all of our plans, all of our goals, all of our lives, all of our mistakes, all of our failures. May we just lay them right at your feet and say, I trust you. And Father, when we do that, would you breathe life into our nostrils? God, take these few moments and allow us to take care of the business that we need to before you, whether prayers of repentance, prayers of faith, prayers of trust, prayers of surrender. Would you hear our prayers? In Jesus' name we pray.